I'm Scott, and this is Tangents. Well, today I'm going to try to veer a bit outside of politics for a change. Uh, it's an annoying thing that it's like this black hole. I, it's gravitation. I just cannot escape. Um, even now, I'm having to fight myself from talking about it because it's just something... It, the crazy thing is actually it touches on the topic that I want to discuss today because what I want to talk about today uh, is basically this idea, and I'm not saying anyone has necessarily said this explicitly, but just one thing that I gather from watching people going around about their business is that people genuinely seem to believe that gloves are magic. And I'm, I'm recording this in the middle of a pandemic, uh, getting to hopefully about the plateau. It's uh, April 20th, 2020. Um, obviously, you probably will know more about this than I do because you're probably not watching this tomorrow. Um, the hope is that we're plateauing and then uh, we'll eventually kind of taper things off. Not the most optimistic situation, to be honest, though. It's a uh, it's pretty, pretty disturbing, in fact, where we are. So, yeah. The, the thing I want to get to is personal protective equipment and especially, this is something that has bothered the shit out of me for a very long time and it has nothing to do with the specific pandemic. It's just that people by and large are not trained in universal precautions and aseptic technique. And this is not something, um, my girlfriend often tells me, you know, well, Scott, you've got you know, like you've got a master's degree in microbiology, you've done a lot of tissue culture and virology research, and you have a lot of training in aseptic technique. Um, and yes, this is true, but there's nothing specific about it that is beyond the grasp of say a middle school kid. Um, I mean, you know, obviously maybe in the fine details and the very advanced stuff, but the stuff that I see and the stuff that I'm speaking about here is primarily stuff that anyone anyone should be, you know, barring like serious cognitive defect, should be able to get. And it is kind of horrifying to see how bad people are with it. And, and just to give you an example of why this is not a new thing or specific to this pandemic, um, when I was, I did my master's in uh, University of Hawaii at Manoa. And when I went there, this is a long time ago, so I'm sure she no longer works there. There was a very nice woman who worked at a place called Cyber Wraps. And I used to go there once or even twice a week for lunch. Loved their wraps. And one day, I go there, and I'm, before I got in line, I was watching her. She had kind of some sniffles. Yeah. And then... I, I'm, I'm standing there watching her as she takes her hand, gloved hand, and kind of holds it up to her face and kind of blows her nose, essentially. Um, you know, and then drops her hand down. And then proceeds to make somebody else's wrap with the same gloved hand. So this is not a new thing. This is a problem that has existed for a very long time. Um, I think it is probably the default position of a person. Like if you haven't been trained in microbial ubiquity, um, if you haven't learned that, as I like to say, literal shit is literally everywhere 
Um, if you're not aware of that, it's probably something that you would not even consider. And you might do the same thing. Yeah. Not just with this idea that I'm getting to that gloves are magic, or people think that, but just in general, people are not aware of that. And the thing that you have to realize is, of course, first off, you wash your hands. You go to the restroom, we're all human. You go to the restroom and now, first off, while you do that, you're transferring little microscopic bits of fecal matter everywhere. You don't realize it, you don't see it. They're microscopic, but they're everywhere. You can very easily test this and demonstrate it, even to kids, get Petri dishes. And I guess they don't let kids do this anymore for, for some misguided safety reason. Um, to me, this is something where, you know, like the benefit of training them is so much better than the risk of there might be a colony on the plate that you could probably see anyway, that could be pathogenic. Um, but take that plate, Petri dish, nutrient auger, take your hands uh, as they are now, hopefully you've washed them since the last time you went to the restroom, rub your hand on the plate, um, or even just rub your hand in one area. And then you do, if you're doing this right, um, you don't need to, but if you are, do a dilution streak. So you've got the smear, and then you smear it out even more, and then you, you know, sterilize that needle, or so basically you'd use a, probably a loop, uh, like a little metal ring. Uh, flame sterilize it, let it cool, touch it to part of that area, smear it out, not going back on it and not um, going back on where you have, hit the flame again, rotate it, do the same thing, go through your previous streak and smear. And when you do that, put the plate into, the, into an incubator, do 37 Celsius, which is 37 degrees Celsius is about 98 ballpark 98.6. I don't know exactly where it is in Fahrenheit, but it's typical human body temperature. So if you're growing things that grow in people, they tend to like that. And let it grow for 24, 48 hours, and you will come back with a shit ton of colonies. And if you look at those colonies, this is where you start getting into needing a little bit more advanced technique. Uh, little kids can understand all those colonies are from things that were on your skin. Yeah, the super easy one is you draw a smiley face with your finger and then you have a confluence of colonies. Like you can't even see the separate colonies because there are so many things that you've transferred onto the plate. Uh, but if you want, you can take those, isolate out some colonies and look at them and you can pretty much guarantee you're going to see coliforms. So coliforms are fecal bacteria. And the typical example of that is E. coli. Um, all of us have E. coli, some strains of it. Uh, just in our guts, and it doesn't survive exceptionally well in the environment, so it's usually used as a proxy for fecal contamination. Uh, you know, like if you have it on your skin and you don't recontaminate yourself in a day or two, it's probably not going to be viable. Probably less than that, but I'm giving you kind of a like a safe margin, especially if you're washing your hands regularly, as I do, and as I hope everyone. You would like to think everybody would be doing this now. You'd like to think everybody would have been doing this before, but never mind that now. Um, and tangent here, but I have, I have mixed feelings about whether this is the right thing to do or not, but I have been uh, eating out, or not eating out, but you know, getting food prepared by people outside and then picking it up. Uh, one of the places I went a month ago or so, I don't know, weeks to a month ago, 
I'm not going to name it because I don't want to shame them. Uh, and, and also this is not like specific to them. This is a ubiquitous problem. But I was commenting on how much I hope that people will kind of, you know, after this is over, learn from the experience and retain that aseptic technique and universal precautions. And then the woman who was giving me my food was explaining like, oh no, we have always, this is a very bad warning sign. We have always been really cautious about this stuff. Um, which I was kind of like, oh, maybe that's okay. And then she proceeds to explain like some of the things that she's doing or that they, not she, but that their store as a policy would do. And they're things that would cross-contaminate everything. Um, and you're what, you're not watching her, but I'm watching her do things like touch, you know, touch a card or touch the register and then touch other things. Um, this is the idea, again, getting back to this, literally everything is covered in literal shit. Um, imagine you have that stuff that you put on the plate. Everything you touch, even though it's not going to live there for very long, you're putting it there. And now you don't have to see it. Somebody else touches it or you touch it again. Even if you wash your hands, your hands are hopefully relatively clean. Touch it again, recontaminated, touch food. Now you've put God knows what into the food. Now, often this doesn't make that much of a difference because our immune systems are insanely good. Uh, it's, it's remarkable actually. Like this is one of those things like uh, when you start paying attention to people driving and you look at the number of times where there's damn near a crash, like by any, by rights, there should have been a crash, but somehow one or both of the drivers at the last minute avoided it. When you look at that, you start really being impressed by it, uh, also slightly horrified perhaps. When you look at the aseptic technique that people have, um, the idea that people are not sick all the time is extraordinary. And uh, it, it really is a testament to how good our immune systems usually are, which is not to say we should rely upon them. Um, and it's also like there's this idea that some people have that, oh, it's, it's healthy to expose yourself to as much of this stuff as possible. And to some extent, that's not entirely false. I mean, it is a thing that you do have to, and this is gross, but we, in order to repopulate our guts, uh, to some extent need, you know, just bacteria, again, fecal contamination, um, in very small amounts, probably either from ourselves or from somebody else. Normally that would be kind of a thing that's happening just constitutively, so like all the time. Um, but you don't really want to expose yourself to a lot of unnecessary dangerous dangers. Exposing yourself to norovirus, for example, which is a virus that is very communicable, uh, transmitted through fecal oral pathways. So uh, this is one of the more common transmission pathways. Um, so basically fecal matter comes out, you have it on your hands, even if you wash them and you don't wash them properly. In fact, even if you wash them properly, you're probably not getting rid of all of it. You're getting rid of most. And this is all like probabilistic stuff. You're trying not, to, you can't eliminate risk unless you literally live in a bubble. And even then there's some risk. But if you want to have like a reasonable life, you can minimize risk. You know, put a seatbelt on, it doesn't protect you 100%, but it dramatically reduces your risk of say getting ejected from a vehicle and going through the windshield and flying and uh, getting flattened on the, on the street in front of your car. 
or, or something horrible. Um, but yeah, doesn't protect you a hundred percent. Washing your hands, not a hundred percent protection, but it helps a lot. Being aware that everything is covered in shit. Uh, again, I, I can't repeat it enough. Literally everything is covered in literal shit. Um, and again, so one thing you might say is, well, if everything's covered in shit, why do I even bother? And okay, that is one interpretation. The interpretation I would like you to get to and the correct, if I may, interpretation is everything is contaminated. So act under that assumption, unless you've got something that is actually sterile, like um, irradiated or steam sterilized or chemically disinfected at least, everything is contaminated. So operating under that assumption, you have that glove, not magic glove, the real glove. And that glove, when you get it out of the box, should be relatively germ-free. Might not be. Um, if it's irradiated beforehand, which I don't think is a standard practice, then you could pretty much guarantee it. But coming from an industrial process, it's probably pretty good. Not 100%, but very, very small amount of stuff there. So when you put that glove on, first mistake a lot of people make is they'll touch the glove. <laughs> this is a crazy thing. Pick up the glove. Now you've just contaminated the glove because you've touched the part of the glove that's going to touch other things. Don't do that. Your hand's covered in shit. Now the glove is covered in shit. So you don't do that. You pick up the glove from the back or from the inside if you could, but even just the back where you're not going to touch stuff, take that and then put your other hand into the glove without touching the front. So now your hand is dirty, but the outside of the glove should be clean. Now, not a magic glove, a real glove. Now that glove is clean until you contaminate it. So as soon as you touch your face, now it's contaminated, you cough into the glove, it's contaminated. You do anything, you touch money. Now the glove is contaminated. Now a real glove, contaminated, is now going to transmit whatever was on it to whatever else you touch. So if you're doing food prep and you blow your nose onto your glove or something less horrible but still bad, now you touch other stuff and you've just transferred all of that stuff to the food. So what you should do is take off the glove aseptically. So your aseptic technique basically is, well, just to give you some definitions, universal precautions are basically operating under the assumption that uh, everything is contaminated and sort of two sides of this. I assume that I am infectious and I assume that everybody else is infectious, not necessarily with the same thing. And you act accordingly so that I don't infect somebody else and so that they don't infect me. And under that assumption, so this is what healthcare workers and frankly, uh, anyone doing food prep or even the rest of us in our everyday lives should be doing. Uh, I, would, I would love seriously if people would come out of this thing and be a bit better about that. Although, Again, this woman from, uh, from the restaurant that I went to didn't instill a great deal of confidence because she thought they were already doing a good job, which means um, if you think you're doing a good job, you're certainly not going to learn. If you, one thing that frustrates the hell out of me, and it's a very common thing, I don't know if it's cultural or human nature, but so many people, if you point out that they're not doing something right, um, they will not go, oh, I want to do it right, so I'm going to learn. Their conclusion instead will be, why are you attacking me? 
and I'm just going to keep doing it the way that I was doing it and stomp your feet. Uh, it is frustrating and it is so counterproductive because we, if you want to grow, you want to learn. I would personally rather know, hey, Scott, you're doing something dumb and wrong and then fix it than to keep doing the dumb and wrong thing over and over and over again. Um, I, I, I want that because, call me crazy, I don't want to be doing something that's dumb. I don't want to be doing something that is wrong. I want to be doing the correct stuff and I don't want to be thinking things that are wrong either. I would like to learn. Um, to me, basic, basic stuff. Why we don't teach kids that? I mean, there are a lot of things here that we could just you know, teach kids. Would not be that big of a deal. Teach kids that, you know, first off, attack the things that people are doing that are wrong. Don't attack the person. What you're doing is wrong or is bad, but not that you are bad or you are wrong. First thing, very basic. Uh, we don't train people that. We don't train people to take it that way either. If I criticize something you're doing, people tend to take it as an attack against them and not, you know, like I'm trying to help you do the right thing. So it, it, it makes things very complicated in life. Just how do you, how do you persuade somebody uh, to do the right thing when they have this, this stubborn idea that I can't be doing the wrong thing because if I'm doing the wrong thing, it doesn't mean that I'm doing some, you know, I'm a good person making a mistake. It means that I'm a bad person. That seems to be the, the way that people interpret this. And so people don't want to think they're a bad person or, or they think they're a bad person. So I'm just going to keep on doing the wrong things rather than learning. Uh, it's, it's frustrating and painful and unnecessary. So getting back to, to the glove, you've got your glove, you've contaminated it. You take it off without touching it, ideally. And it's very easy if you play with it. You, you have to practice some of these things a little bit, but once you picture that everything that you do not know is sterile or that you haven't disinfected is contaminated, once you imagine that, just imagine a layer of filth, literal shit, covering your hands. The gloves are clean, but as soon as you touch the glove, now there's a little spot of shit there. Um, so you see that spot of shit and you're like, I don't want to put a spot of shit into the food that I'm preparing for somebody. So take off the glove and you can take that glove off, grab the other glove or grab that glove with this glove, take both gloves off, wrap them up in a nice little ball and throw them out. And then either wash your hands or at the very least, ideally wash your hands, but at the very least, because while you've done this, you probably were careful, but you haven't, yeah, haven't necessarily been hundred percent effective. Uh, and again, universal precautions always assume if there's any opportunity to contaminate something, it's contaminated. If there's any opportunity to infect someone, it's going to happen. So take precautions under that assumption. So anyway, you've done this. Now you put on another glove, again, aseptically. Do the same. And now your gloves are clean again. But you don't do the things that I saw over the weekend. And for example, my, my girlfriend went to the store. Um, I waited in the car with her, with her dog and was waiting for her. And while I'm sitting there, I'm watching people go in and like one woman is, she's wearing gloves, touching her car, touching all kinds of stuff, touching her face. Uh, I mean, you watch it and it's like, it, it's almost like they're making a video of stuff not to do. <laughs> and you know, you know, the same person's wearing the same gloves all day. 
Um, this is not helping anyone. This is not, it, it, all it's doing is providing a false sense of security. Now that's not to say that gloves are not good. Gloves used properly, actually very good. Um, masks, people wear masks and it's not bad, not necessarily. You definitely don't want to get the impression that they're going to protect you fully. Uh, especially because like even if you have an N95 mask, uh, the pore size is big enough that uh, a few of these virus, of these virions, these virus particles can go through. You know, not perfect protection, but it wipes out most of the risk. Most, not all. If you have a homemade mask made out of like t-shirt material or uh, I don't know, pillowcase, the holes you know, it looks relatively solid to you at a macroscopic level, but if you zoom in, there are giant gaping holes for stuff to go through. But still, it does help a little bit, and especially it helps, I guess the two things that it really helps are if you cough or sneeze, the big droplets are going to get cut, get captured. You know, the little mist is still going to get out, but you're helping to reduce the big droplets a little bit. Um, and of course, getting infected is partially due to exposure, and partially due to dose. So if you have a dose where you're getting like, um, there are things, if you get unlucky, all of this stuff is probabilistic. You get unlucky, one virion is enough to kill you. Um, but more likely than not, that infects a cell and the cell's innate immunity just wipes it out or it never infects anything and it just kind of gets passed through you. But if you have many of them and they're infecting a lot of different cells, much more likely to cause a problem. This is, I guess, one reason why healthcare workers exposed to the same diseases often have worse outcomes, just because they're getting a higher dose and more exposure over more time. Um, if you're just casually exposed to something, you know, and again, don't assume that that makes you safe, but it makes you safer, statistically. So, you know, you use these universal precautions um, you use this kind of aseptic technique, be aware, like if you have the mask on, the mask is not magic either. And certainly, I guess the second thing that the mask does is a lot of people, and th this is a thing, it's one of these things where we're so unaware of what we're doing most of the time. And if you watch, you just take a video of somebody, very often they will touch their face. Especially, it's kind of crazy, if you look at um, people like they'll shake hands, which is a thing that I would love to, to see go away. Um, probably won't, but you know, not my favorite behavior. But they'll shake hands and then almost without thinking about it, they move the hand to their face. Now, I don't know if this is just a innate behavior for smelling the other person, or it could be actually like a behavior for trying to share uh, commensal bac like bacteria that help you. Um, you know, trying to infect yourself. I don't mean you're doing it rationally trying it, but it, it seems to be a behavior that was evolutionarily selected for, for some reason. I don't know what it is, but it's easy to imagine reasons like that. Um, whatever it is, it's a thing that people do. You watch, I mean, you don't, you don't even need video of it. Just sort of sit someplace, watch people in groups, and the, the number of times that they'll touch their face or do things that are horrifying and disgusting is you know, unbelievable. One of, one of the things, so I'm, I have mixed feelings about 
President Obama. I, I generally like him. He is a remarkable speaker. Uh, he was a great, you know, I mean, in, in contrast to Trump, almost anyone, not to get into politics, but contrast to Trump, very competent, very, uh, yeah, just the fact that he can put together a sentence. The fact that he was a constitutional law professor and he has some understanding of the Constitution, unlike uh, the current administration. Um, yeah, it's just, it's staggering. But one thing that I saw that really made me cringe, and this drives me nuts, but you go to Chipotle, and in Chipotle, they generally have a sneeze guard, glass sneeze guard over the sort of stuff. And it's kind of nice that it keeps people from sneezing into it, and it keeps shorter people, generally, from doing gross things. But one of the things with universal precautions is imagine you have fecal matter all over you. Now, you don't see it, but you're constantly shedding stuff. If I'm going like this, there's little microscopic stuff just raining down from my hand. You can, you can demonstrate this also if you have a Petri dish nutrient auger. It's kind of, again, really a thing that should be part of either grade school or middle school or at the very least high school. Um, just maybe even repeat it a couple of times just to hammer the ideas in and get, you know, peel the onion back. So like the first time you just draw a smiley face and you're like, oh, my hands are yick, they're icky. You know, little kid, you can understand that. Get to middle school and then you start going more into it and then you get to high school and you get more advanced still. And then hopefully if somebody's working in food service or they're preparing food for themselves or other people um, or they're, you know, they're just doing things like going to the bathroom and not washing their fucking hands. Uh, they know better. Yeah. But you take that Petri dish, you take your hand, just, you know, I'm not saying wash the hand first, but you just take your hand normal everyday use and you just kind of go like this. And I am rubbing my hand. You don't have to do that. It will just make more stuff come down. But even if you just kind of shake your hand, and you have to let it fall, give it a minute. You might even take the dish and go up, just because these things are so light that they don't fall very fast, but they will fall eventually. Take the dish, close it up, throw it in the incubator, and you come back in a day or two, and oh shit, there's a lot of stuff on there. Now it's not as bad as, it, as when you touched it, but there's still stuff on there. It's scary as shit. Um, it's not that it's scary. I mean, most of the stuff will not, most of it will not kill you, but the problem is, say that you have, and again, I'm going to go back to norovirus because my mom has a particular um, thing with this. She had an experience where um, she, was in, she was playing bridge in this bridge group. And norovirus, it's a very common thing to have in this kind of situation. It, it just rampaged a lot of people in this group. And she saw this and tried to tell people and tried to explain to people, you know, like, hey, maybe we should be more careful about this stuff. And maybe we should, you know, tell people about it and kind of do a public health thing here. And people really, again, with this, the same thing where you're trying to correct something and people take it as a personal attack, uh, they pushed back and so on. But, you know, it, it, it's a thing that annoys me for that reason. It, it's a thing at the front of my mind, but there are so many other things. It doesn't need to be that. Um, all of us, all of us on the surface of our skin, uh, unless you are very weird, like you were raised under, there, there's a thing called sterile, in giant air quotes, animals. 
Uh, so like mice are raised in aseptic environments and passed for a few generations, intentionally avoiding fecal contamination. And so these mice have essentially no or very little um, microbiota. They have very few microorganisms on them. Um, and these are very sickly mice, incidentally, because if you don't have those things, if you don't have the good stuff, um, it actually turns out it's really bad for you and it makes it easier for the bad stuff to take hold. Um, but unless you were raised under those kinds of circumstances, you pretty much can guarantee on your skin someplace is something that would kill you badly. Um, your skin is just a great barrier. Yeah. And intact skin, very strong barrier, first defense. Uh, one of our, lar I guess it is our largest organ. So on your skin though, you probably have some, well, certainly you have various forms of strep and staph. Uh, strep are little strips, of, like, I guess links, chains basically of spherical bacteria. Staph are kind of like bunches of grapes. You certainly have those. Um, you certainly have, and there are many, many different uh, species and many different strains within those species. And some of them are much more aggressive, much more virulent than others, but they're there. I can pretty much guarantee you have something on your skin where if you took that and expanded it a little bit, so put it on the right kind of media, you don't have to get it into a very high concentration, but a little bit higher than what you have, um, or just, you know, got it from bad luck. And then you infected somebody with it, like you injected yourself with it, or even if you just took that on your skin and made a scratch, just a scratch, it would either kill you or it would cause necrotizing fasciitis. So like flesh eating, you know, like really bad stuff. And that's just stuff that is on you. So it's not, you know, exposing yourself to this stuff, probably not a great thing. You, you almost certainly have things on you where if you touched, um, this, this is a example that you see all the time for, um, so there's a difference between, I don't want this to be like a huge microbiology thing, although it seems to be the subject for today somehow, but uh, if, you, if you eat something and then you get sick from it, there are two categories of just sort of broadly how you're doing that. One is through infection. So you've eaten something and then it had some viable stuff in it that grew in you. And because it expanded in you, that made you sick. Uh, that typically takes at the low end a day and often say 36 to even 48 hours. So like a, a day and a half, two days. Um, it might just take a day, but in the, at the fast end. It doesn't come up very quickly, lasts a while. And while you are sick, generally speaking, you're shedding the stuff. So you're exposing other people to it. Now, if you, like an alternative to this, is there are things where they spit out, they're called toxins. So toxins are chemicals. You can, often they're heat stable toxins. Not all are heat stable, but enough are that it's kind of scary. And the very typical example is like you'll have refried beans or something similar, something that's warm, but not too hot to kill stuff. And it lets something like Bacillus subtilis grow in it. And it grows and it spits out this protein uh, or toxin, introtoxin. So like toxin for your enteric system, your gut. And you can wipe out the Bacillus in there. 
although the bacillus has it's a spore forming bacteria so it actually has these little spores that uh, will survive a they're not immortal you can't kill them but it will survive a lot of things that will kill other things like e coli which is not a spore former but independent of that it doesn't need to be in there you could remove it all and that toxin which can be a heat stable toxin so even if you heat the the food up again you eat it and then very quickly like order of a half hour or less sometimes you will get often explosive vomiting or diarrhea this is very typical for food poisoning you get that and then by tomorrow you're probably fine um, but for the period where you have that um, you're very sick and it has very rapid onset so in that case it's not an uh, infection it's just intoxication so to speak it's food poisoning literal food poisoning um, and that's another thing that you have probably living on you and if you don't somebody who's doing food prep certainly does Un unknowingly it's not like they're doing it on purpose you just have if you zoom into your skin we're covered in bacteria you zoom into your guts there's so much in there um, so much in just throughout your digestive tract and that kind of stuff may be fine where it is but you let it expand uh, you let it reproduce a bit or you just put it in the wrong place and it can be very bad so it's, it's kind of an interesting thing to learn and again you don't know what that is but you just kind of operate under the assumption that there's something there that you want to avoid giving somebody else there's something there that you want to avoid putting in the food there's something there on your hand that you want to avoid reaching over the the sneeze guard and you know pointing into it I'm, I'm doing this to make it like to exaggerate it but just pointing over it you're shaking just imagine like a little night nice light dusting of god knows what slowly drifting down into the food that other people are going to eat you know avoid that it's, it's something that drives me insane i can't get past this one but it drives me insane under normal circumstances like uh, i mean people if you watch people in any kind of communal eating situation it's horrifying you watch people doing food prep um, sure they have some training but not enough and they also like they're very often not trained in microbial ubiquity or i mean they have the ideas of universal precautions kind of but no explanation or understanding of why uh, and they don't understand you know it's like ah well you I'm, I'm gonna wear the gloves and it doesn't really matter um, and they don't really understand oh everything's covered in shit and I, I, I keep saying shit doesn't have to be shit um, another pathway that's common is the renal respiratory so this is like uh, something you breathe in uh, basically dust from urine or uh, an aerosol gets into your lungs goes to your kidneys gets shed through your bladder into urine and then continues the circle of life um, there are lots of pathways like this but those are two very common ones and you know literally everything is covered in literal urine as well but it's not as dramatic as to say shit. Um, one of the things that is horrifying is is also like go into a restroom and if you flush the toilet um, this is a scary thing you don't see it because our vision is not great our vision is yeah, it's decent but 
unaided vision, you miss a lot of stuff. If you look closely, you flush that toilet and there's this nice mist, nice mist coming up and it covers everything. And that mist includes, because people poop, includes literal shit. So in a bathroom, like at your home, your walls are probably covered in it. Every surface in your bathroom, if your toothbrush is in there, it's covered in it. Now you're contaminating yourself or somebody who you live with who's probably already infected with everything that you have, but it's still there. It's gross. Um, one thing that's interesting actually is that if you go to a public restroom, they often have uh, this little kind of spray thing that uh, every minute or couple of minutes sprays some kind of uh, antiseptic like mist and that generally wipes that stuff out uh, for the most part. Again, nothing is perfect, but it does a really good job. Um, it's kind of surprising actually if you go, um, it was one of the things when in high school I did the microbial ubiquity uh, thing in biology. And if you go into the restroom, some things are not nearly as bad. Like if you look at the faucets or uh, the door handle in the bathroom, they weren't nearly as bad as say the door handle to a classroom or the trash bin in the classroom. Um, it's an interesting thing. I think it's something that everybody should do and everybody should do it more than once. And especially, you know, and again, nothing there is beyond the ability for almost anyone to understand. It's just opening your awareness a tiny bit more into, oh, there's stuff out there that I can't see that can actually hurt me or hurt other people. And hopefully you don't want to hurt yourself and hopefully you don't want to hurt other people. So it helps to be aware of it. Um, and again, totally independent of COVID-19 and the current pandemic. And actually also if this was just a standard practice, um, I mean, I always think it, it, would, it would help prevent this kind of thing in the future. It would help lower the spread and all of this. Um, I think this will be the last thing that I say, but uh, Chipotle had a, uh, and this is this gets to something that I, just double check my time. This gets to something that I'm obsessed with, but Chipotle a couple years ago had this thing where people were getting contaminated food and they'd get sick from Chipotle. And then it seemed like there was this big spike in stuff from Chipotle. Uh, what I strongly suspect happened, and when I say strongly suspect, I mean I'm almost certain this is the case, is that that is true of basically every food, you know, every, every establishment, every restaurant, any place that prepares food is going to have this issue. But the thing is most people, like the surveillance is not very good. If you go to third world countries, very often, like diarrhea is just a fact of life. Like people just take it for granted. That's, you're just going to have diarrhea often, if not always. Um, and because it's normal, they don't think about it. They don't realize that it's because they have very poor health standards. And, uh, and so, you know, like they're either drinking contaminated water or eating contaminated food. And you have this circle going. Everybody has diarrhea, so they're all exposing themselves. You know, you have that stuff shed in literal liquid shit, don't wash your hands very well, and then pass it on to the next person. Um, that is not nearly as bad here, but we're pretty far from perfect there. People still get sick, they get mildly sick, um, or even they get 
seriously sick for a little bit and they don't really, you don't report it, you don't notice it. So you'll go to some other place, get sick, not register even, and especially because it could be 24 to 48 hours later, um, you don't notice like, oh, I got sick from this. You just notice, oh, I'm sick and don't connect it to anything. But with Chipotle, people had in their minds, oh, Chipotle is bad. So they noticed it in a way that they wouldn't have noticed before. Uh, it's, a, it's a very bad perceptual problem, actually. And I, I think, not to go back to politics, although I can't help it, uh, this Bernie bro idea, one of the reasons that it took hold is, I mean, aside from the Hillary's camp and the whole, she, she did this same, what was it, Obama boy thing, which, yeah, given the history is really kind of distasteful, but she did this and did the same ploy again with, uh, with Bernie and his supporters. But once you have that idea in your mind, you notice things. It's, it's a confirmation bias, essentially. Your brain is tuned in to something. If, you know, normally you might not notice uh, black Lexus. You don't see them driving that often. But if I mention the black Lexus and you start driving around, you start noticing, oh, a lot of black Lexuses out there. And it's not that there are a lot of those out there nearly as much as now you're tuned into it and now you're sort of primed to see it. So you don't notice the, um, the Kamala people who are insanely toxic or the Hillary people or the Biden ones, the, uh, the blue no matter who, but also somehow never Bernie people. My, one of my favorite people to just like, you know, what the fuck people. But never mind that now. You don't notice it because you're not primed for it. You're not looking for it, but you're looking for Chipotle to get you sick. You're looking for the toxic Bernie bro kind of person out there. So you see it, even though, you know, it's something that exists. Like Chipotle probably, especially once they started being aware of this, but even before then they had policies that probably made them lower risk than a random restaurant. Um, but they're, they're in every state, they're all over the place. So all it takes is like one very small, you know, a fraction of a percent of those restaurants, somebody gets sick, a fraction of a percent of the time. And there are so many exposure events that you'll see it a lot, especially when you're looking for it. Whereas, you know, Bob's Diner over the, across the street, hopefully, I, I don't mean an actual Bob's Diner. So if such a thing exists, I'm not talking about a real place. I'm just using it as an example. But this place down the street, you don't notice that they're a hundred times more likely to get you sick because you're not looking for it. And you also, you know, they could be a hundred times more likely, but the number of people that they're serving, the number of meals that they're serving is so much less that it will happen much less frequently, even if you notice it. And again, there's very bad surveillance. So you don't notice it most of the time. Um, it's a, it's a thing. It's a, I get, I'm kind of obsessed actually with some of these human cognitive deficits that we have. I mean, you can kind of understand where they come from very often. They're things that I would say they're almost like shortcuts, you know, prejudice. One way to understand it is you build a sort of overgeneralization. You're kind of overlearning, so to speak. You see one event and instead of thinking, oh, this is this one anomalous event, or putting it in its proper context, um, which if you imagine like you see one lion eat somebody, you probably would 
you know, in terms of evolution, be really better off thinking lions are dangerous. I'm not going to fuck with a lion and avoiding them. You don't want to go, oh, I'm going to do a sample of like 10 independently chosen lions or 100 and see what happens when you mix them with people. So you can understand why there might be some advantage in terms of evolution to this kind of overgeneralization, developing prejudices, and the sort of reinforcement bias. Um, but it's very bad in practice in modern life. <sighs> so with that, I, I could go on, but I think I will, will spare you more of this for now. Uh, it's crazy that just last week I was explaining, oh, Monday is not going to happen. And today I'm finding myself in a Monday recording one of these. So apparently consistency is not going to happen here. Um, I don't know I, if I should put this out on Wednesday just to be consistent and bank it up, or if I should just release it today. My, my inclination is just to do it today. Uh, I don't think having a regular cadence other than with some reliability, you're going to get, um, you know, Wednesday, Friday, you'll get something out. Um, I think that helps, but I guess part of it is just accumulating some number of these, some body. Uh, I'm also tempted, I, I found a big archive of some of my old episodes from uh, Monotone Drone. Uh, I found my Dr. Christie and Dr. Drew episode from my radio show a long, long time ago. And actually, that would be the last thing that I talk about because uh, Dr. Drew, you know, Dr. First Name, uh, and Dr. Christie I feel bad about because it was uh, in the context that made sense, but uh, my sister, actually a good doctor, not a TV doctor. Uh, Dr. Drew, I thought was a good guy. I, I, I hope I talked about him before and how disappointed I am, but uh, I, I can't tell you how much I'm just disappointed by that guy. And I should have, I should have recognized it a long time ago. Um, and again, like, in fact, I remember recording this, but Adam Carolla, um, I knew much earlier on was eh, problematic. Let's just say, to put it generously, Dr. Drew, I gave a lot more latitude to, and I always kind of thought, you know, this guy at the very, like, he might not necessarily do the right things, but he means well. Um, but this non-apology apology that he did recently and this whole, you know, pushing back against, oh, COVID-19 is not that big of a deal. It's, you know, like you're, you shouldn't be worried about it. It's, it's a big deal. And the guy that's, I'm almost hesitant to even leave in what I just said, because I don't want somebody taking that out of context because it's a big fucking deal. COVID-19 is a big fucking deal. It's something that we should take seriously. Uh, it's something that even in the optimistic view um, it seems like right now, at least as many Americans will die, not to be, you know, Amerocentric, but, you know, it's kind of a natural division here. At least as many Americans will die as died in Korea and Vietnam combined. And that death toll did not need to be anywhere near that number. And it is basically, I'm not laying the blame entirely on Trump, but it really comes down to a lot of things that he did. And partially also just to Trump, everything Obama did was terrible. And so he's got to undo everything. So he got rid of a lot of stuff that Obama was doing that would have helped mitigate this situation a lot. Um, 
fucking annoying as shit and dumb. And I don't know how you can, the, the thing that scares me about this is that, that again is optimistic from where we are. Optimistically, that's what's going to happen. Um, could be much worse. And again, totally unnecessary. Will the people who support Trump see that, you know, oh, their sister died or their kid or their grandparent um, and then maybe wake up and realize that Trump has done this? I have zero, zero confidence in that. I wish, I would love to think it. And I, I had this idea before that all it would take was like, a, not all it would take, but it would take a catastrophe to wake people up. And now I don't even think a catastrophe is going to do it. Um, it's, it's kind of horrifying actually, cause it's like, what, if this won't, what will, um, it's just, it's, it's terrifying. So, and then also actually like the economic situation, this is crazy, but we've done this $2 trillion stimulus package, um, more certainly to come. And then we have this idea that we have to open up the country. I would say prematurely looking at the, the numbers does not look like anywhere near where he wants to do it is going to make any sense at all. And he wanted to do it a month earlier, which would be even dumber. So we took the hit, that $2 trillion hit, and we're still going to get the long-term hit in terms of population getting wiped out and the GDP accelerating more slowly because people are dead and the GDP is a function of, like each person contributes a certain amount to our GDP. And so if you wipe out a bunch of people, um, you have not just a short-term hit, but a long-term hit to the growth rate. So you have the short-term hit of $2 trillion out of the system. And then you have this long-term hit of not only that, but like if we didn't do that, we would have in a few years had the same hit because the growth rate would have been got, or would have been knocked down. But now we got the low growth rate because we're going to open up soon. Uh, hopefully not, but yeah, that seems where we're, where we're heading. And we took the, t the $2 trillion hit. So it's like, uh, you know, we're getting the worst of both worlds out of stupidity and totally unnecessarily. So I think that's where I'm gonna, gonna end off, but it's just, I can't escape politics here, I'm sorry. And part of the reason I can't escape politics is that the situation that we're in now is such that expertise and knowing stuff about things uh, is actually derided and considered to be almost a negative. Uh, it's depressing as fuck. And again, if that doesn't change, I mean, this is like a little short-term, I keep thinking about this, but uh, climate change, anthropogenic climate change is a longer term, slower moving catastrophe um, with a bigger cost in terms of lives and money. And we're getting a little preview of it with this COVID-19 thing. And we're not coming out well, we're not looking good in this test. Uh, it's kind of depressing. With that though, on that cheery note, Thank you, as always, for watching or listening, and say Jen.